Greetings ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest video. There is no epic loot here, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. The link to the story will be down below. If you wish to support the author, please head over there and give them support. If you wish to support the channel, there are numerous ways to do so down below. There is Discord, Merch, Patreon, bunch of other stuff too. So have a look in the description, you might be surprised. Anyways, now on to the fiction. As always, I hope that you enjoy. I would just like to thank the following tier 5 patrons and channel members for supporting the channel. Fallen Angel, Buzz Kennington, Data Magnet, and Bob the Dragon. Thank you again. And now, on to the story. Interlude. Totog. Maharia, enough. It was a doll. It means so much. You'll be given another, her father said, cutting their argument short. Maharia spun her curls, bouncing as she stared up at her father on his throne with tears in her eyes. But I made this doll from the straw in the stables, and the cook helped me stitch it together, she said before she pointed at her elder sister, who looked like the picture of innocence. Don't us to give it back. She's just using it to torment me, Maharia pleaded, but the father sliced his hand through the air, silencing them. I don't have time for your games, daughters. I am run ragged preparing for Sir Nextrolf's birthday and the ceremony, he said, and Maharia felt a pang of guilt as she saw the slight dark eyes of her father, signs that he'd been up late coordinating merchant routes and the passage of the priests. Zernek was nearby, enjoying the scene like the brat that he was. It was likely he and Terse working together to hide Maharia's doll. Some days, her youngest sibling liked to work with her eldest sibling. Some day, they were each other's worst enemies. Zernek looked like a horrible little copy of their father, with dark hair and cheeks which were quickly becoming defined as baby fat melted off of them. Tis was a pretty girl with hair much fairer than Maharia's, and the gods had decreed that she'd be able to eat the entire roasted pig and not gain a single inch on her waist. Maharia was the ugly little child. Also, her siblings teased. Slightly more round than Tis and less blessed with noble features like Sernak, Maharia often felt a bit like she had been found in a forest one day by her parents and taken in out of pity. Again, I haven't seen your doll, Durst said quietly, her voice soft as she used only a sparingly or to sing at gatherings, much to the mother's delight. It would not be hard for Durst to find a suitor that she might actually enjoy being married to. Maharia turned and left the throne room without another word, exiting out in a large courtyard area where the blossoming trees were trying to grow buds for the spring. Maharia had hoped to see some this year, but it was clear that they were struggling. Maharia sighed as she moved to a large alcove, looking down at the kingdom of Tatog, the modest kingdom with a bustling population, staying afloat with a large trade of ores and metals, even as their crops and livestock died from some plague. They called it a plague, but it was more like a wide-scale poisoning, but no one could find the culprits or a source. Maharia hadn't heard the details, but they said the people stopped drinking the water without heavily boiling it first. Looking at Tatog made her think of how her siblings could have hidden her precious doll anywhere. 
a small, dark figure with curious blue eyes. There were no details, and the cook said that it looked a little spooky, but Maharia didn't care. She huffed, lifting her dress and heaving it to the lonelier part of the castle, where she slipped into an old servant quarters. Maharia was discovered a lot about her home. She had started going to extreme lengths to find places to be alone without leaving the castle's protective magic, which would alert her mother if she ever crossed the some invisible boundary. All those tales of princesses running off to be pirates or meeting band a king who were really kind never had that problem. She moved until she squeezed into the old storehouse where the coal and logs used to be stored for winter. Crouching low, she stripped off her dress, revealing the cheap fabrics that she'd stitched together out of the discarded potato sacks. There was no point in dirtying her dress. She never would get it clean in time for the ceremony. It was in this old, forgotten place that Maharia had made the best discovery of her fourteen years. A long, narrow, dark shaft that seemed to sink down below the castle. Maharia discovered her mother's magic barrier only stopped Maharia going away, not up or down. A slight flaw, really. But Maharia hadn't informed her mother about such a weakness for reasons Maharia couldn't be bothered listing. As she made her way down, she nearly shrieked when a spider scuttled over her hand, but she urged herself on her. Every minute was precious. After what seemed like ages, she finally emerged in a space so dark that she couldn't see her hand in front of her face. Frickum, fricker flame, she whispered, getting enough sparks from a tiny fireball. At least she wasn't devoid of magic potential. It was expected of boys like Cernic to not bother with magic as he would train in the sword. But as a princess of Tatog, Maharia was expected to be able to defend herself or show off under Mar like some demented show pony. A weak light showed that her magic potential was eh, flimsy, but there nonetheless. She used it to move down the corridors. It looked like the old rocky cave walls suspended by beams of wood that creaked when she moved too fast past them. She knew these passages so well by now that she didn't even need to think about her journey. Left, right, right, under the fallen beam, past the boulder that looked like a gnome, down the hallway, past the collapsed passage and the headless skeleton crushed under the rocks, and finally down the long, curving tunnel. Maharia slowly emerged in a large space that had tons of mining equipment discarded about. Over time, Maharia had turned the cart into a comfortable little nook with a pillow inside of it. The pickaxe was used as a hook for any coats and satchels that she had with her, and she hid a supply of good quality candles nearby. She lit one and put it inside the shade container that heavily dimmed the light. It had to be just dark enough. Once she was ready, she walked over to the large crack in the wall before she pounded on it with a fist. Are you going to wake up or am I going to have to shove the candle in again? She called out and the utter darkness inside the crack stirred. After a moment, what seemed like a liquid shadow slowly began to ooze down the crack before it pulled. It's right, the pool goggled. It's dark, you're just sensitive. Maria scowled. Perhaps more sleep, the voice said before the puddle slowly pulled itself into a small, featureless form that barely came up to Maharia's knees.
You once told me that you'd be taller and crush rocks with your bare hands. I'm beginning to think you lied to me. Maharia said dryly as she sat down in the shade to let her friend escape the light. It's not a matter of time. The passing of moments. Yes, time. It is a matter of insights. Blooming insights together in one. The shadow said slowly. It did everything slowly. Like it honestly wasn't in a rush or had a limit on time. Son, if you go into a ramble about these seeds again, I will squish you and back into that hole in the wall, Maharia warned. Sun was Maharia's only real friend. She called it Sun because when she asked what it was one time, all it could do was say, It was the sun and the seed. Seed wasn't a good name, and Maharia found a little funny to name her friend who hated light so much after the biggest source of light around. Don't squish me. It is unpleasant. I am the seed. Do not squish the sun or the great seed, it muttered feebly. Maharia rolled her eyes and pulled out a nearby blanket. Unrolling it, the white gleaming bones of various rats that had died in the tunnels had been cleaned and carefully stored along with the human skull. Can we practice? Today's hasn't been good, Maharia asked quietly, and Sun looked up to her. Its dark, blue, glowy lights it had for eyes examined her for a long moment. Are you sad? It asked, and Maharia shook her head, lying as did not worry her friend. Just a long day, she lied. I can help practice. Your seed responds well to this art. Sun said softly as it slowly put its hand over hers and channeled her magic. Unlike when she cast the fire magic or the more traditional barrier magic of her mother, there was no slowness or resistance. Maharia's manner flowed so much better. It felt natural. The bones began to glow and tremble before the rat bones slowly formed into crooked legs of the human skull, which chattered, jaw rattling. It took a few wobbly steps before it collapsed into a pile again. That sad little action took a quarter of her reserves away in a single sweep. Maria really was pathetic. You are wonderful, Sun murmured making Maharia blink at the shadow stupidly before she covered it up with an irritated expression. False compliments are not becoming of friends, she said, looking away. The shadow tugged and Maharia had to steady herself as the force was enough to move her with ease. He was a strong thing, even at his weakest. What is false? Sun asked and Maharia stared, not understanding. Falsehoods, untruths, lies, she said, waving her hand. And after a moment, there was a long moment before Sun let her go. I do not understand, Sun said bluntly. Maharia rubbed her forehead. Sun was a friend, but she had to remind herself that he was legitimately a blob of shadows that she pulled out of the wall for a chat and magic training. People lie. They say things that aren't true. Sometimes they do it to spare your feelings. Sometimes they do it to avoid being in trouble. And a lot of the time, 
They do it just to hurt you. Maharia said quietly, thinking of a doll. You think I was being false about your progress? Sun asked after this, his form slowly dropping balls of slow-moving shadow up and down from his arms and head, like a ball of darkness that had its own gravity. No, it's just, um, I don't handle compliments very well, Maharia said slowly as she picked up a nearby stone and tapped it gently against the card. Your seed was closed. It was small, and it cried. It was said you felt empty, and you felt sad. It was that that woke me when you first fell into these mine tunnels. Sun began as he sat down next to her, and tried to mimic her attempt at tapping on the mine card, as if it were a new game. My seed shouldn't be so expressive, Maharia whispered as she dropped her stone. But Sun caught it with his shadows and handed it back to her. I disagree. To be open is to love. We all came from one being in the darkness. We should not hurt, lie, or close off from one another. But we do. I do not know why. Is it because of demons? Did the gods divide us? Does the light reveal our flaws too easily? Sun asked himself. Maharia really wondered how Sun knew what a god was, but didn't know what a lie was. It was so strange. The ceremony is tonight, Maharia finally said, and this made Sun look at her with a slight flare in his eyes. You cannot go, he insisted, not really commanding her, but he hadn't quite gotten the pleading tone down from his monotone. It's kind of noticeable if I don't. I am a princess, even if I don't stand out, she pointed out, getting irritated at the whole thing all over again. Everyone is scared. We need to fix the food problems, Mahari insisted, and Sun looked down at the bones. You are learning the art of death. Your powers will be sufficient to discover the cause of the plague. You will be the savior, he protested before he looked away. Not them. He finished quietly. By the time I'm ready, it'll be too late. I have to be a hundred years old before I'm any good to these people. My talents are worthless. Maharia stood up and kicked the human skull into the darkness, where it clattered a few times before everything went silent. Maharia looked down as the candlelight became blurry. How unbecoming of a princess. At least only Sun could see her. Lies! It came so abruptly that she spun in surprise. Sun was standing there, staring at her. That was a lie, a falsehood, an illusion of words to try and hide what is obviously the truth. Your talents are better than you claim. Few, very can simply animate bone and more with sheer manner. Most need a connection or some power passed down. You are the first of your line to use this art. You are worthy. I cannot lie, Sun said firmly. Sun, she said before inhaling once. She masked her urge to sob into the strange little shadow's arms. He would likely run away in fear for being squished. I'm glad your speaking lessons are paying off, she said briskly, and Sun tilted his featureless head. 
I have a good instructor, he agreed. In the end, she had to attend the ceremony. She only barely made it in time after washing up and rushing to the royal chambers behind the grand hall. Tess stepped forward to avoid crushing her. Not even her siblings would dare make a scene or pull any antics with the way their mother fretted back and forward, making final preparations. Maharia's mother was beautiful. Her hair was the kind of blonde that burned in the sunset. Her sparkling eyes could easily become diamonds or soft gems depending on her mood. But today, her soft green dress and adornments couldn't do much to hide her stress. Father strode past, looking ready to do his part. They entered the courtyard and Mahari's eyes widened at what was waiting for them. A woman in dusky grey robes had chains coming off of her hands and neck. Four of them pulled taut to the four corners of the room. She could have been jolly or even pleasantly happy aunt of some child of the town. The way that she seemed unbothered by the chains or even the series of priests around her was uh, alarming. Maharia's father settled on his throne with her mother taking her place on the other. Maharia and her siblings would stand behind and to the side. Which... You know why you are here, her father announced, and the woman looked slowly up as she was on the holiday of some kind and taking in the sights. She smiled, and almost impossibly straight teeth. Do I? Oh, do tell me, she encouraged. You and your disciples lot have murdered farmers, knights, and travelers between here and the kingdom of Valion. We find them strung up in trees, hung like demented crows. What do you say for your defense? Her father demanded, and Mahari appeared at the woman doubtfully. She didn't seem like someone who would string people up. The woman sighed as if the inconveniences by the impromptu witch trial. She hadn't been giving her proper notice. Guilty as charged, but we did give ample warning. The woman pointed out as if this was a technicality. Which, her father began again, before the woman actually spoke over him in a lecturing tone. Holy Derogast, if you would. That was the kind of name a heroine or some cool villain would have. Maharia was still wondering what exactly was going on. Derogast, her father said, amending his words. The Blackthorn Forest belongs to this land. And you know if I want to burn it down to reach the oars beneath the soil, I can. Your warnings are without power. He warned, and Dabagast smiled quietly. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say that, but we honestly don't need to lift a finger beyond protecting important areas. Your own actions are justice enough, she shrugged. Not an easy feat with her easy chains. You know of the plague, Maharia's mother asked sharply, and the woman looked at her with a relaxed smile. Only the plague of short solutions and shorter results. If you want a clearer answer, give us the power to be an independent state, and we will aid our neighbors with joy. We don't enjoy having to burn with the rest of you, for the sake of it, she offered. There was some shuffling from the watching nobles' heads and gods, but Maharia's father shook his head. You were not brought here to bargain. 
only to pay for your crimes. A solution is at hand, and I don't need to bargain with murderers and beasts to protect my people, only for them to be cattle to witches of the wood, he said, his voice like steel. This got the first round from Dabagas since Maharia had seen him. I suspect that burning down the forest and unearthing all the pretty rocks is not your solution, she said, and Maharia felt uneasy when her father looked skywards, where the Grand Hall's majestic roof was peeled back like a flower blossoming. The Stargate was one of Tatog's wonders, one of Maharia's favorites. When unspeakable power and threats take my kingdom's chances of surviving, I must respond in kind. Tadog has remained without a core god or religion as long as my bloodline has existed. We have allowed other practices to exist out of respect and to remove evil. But as a whole, we lack the power, the protection of a god. He said, and the stars above twinkled like fireflies. That was Maharia swallowed hard, but she didn't dare move. Dabagast had little care to do the same. Her chains rankled as she tried to move forward. Why not ask for a priest to come? Why not adopt a god that is already formed? She demanded, and Mahari's father looked down as if there was a binding on his own hand. I've seen how that works. A religion that knows it is needed has power not even a king can counter. I cannot let my people be saved from this danger, only to be thrown into the midst of a bloody civil war. He suddenly yelled, and Dabagast narrowed her eyes. So, you will conjure the beings from the other side, poke your own hole in the sky for new lights to shine through, create your own little star and hope it shines brighter than the rest. You would rather deal with a creature of such inhumanity that its potential sight of it could rob you of your own sanity. Dabagast asked quietly, but a voice carried. Yes, and your life will be the dagger in which we pierce the sky, instead of simply hacking off your head like the murderer you are. Your life will be put to good use, the king announced, and Maharia's hands trembled. Son's words came back to her, in her mind. I don't know why. Is it because of demons? Did the gods divide us? Does the light reveal our flaws too easily? Was, um, Maharia's family going to kill the woman? Like some show? Other people looked grim, and others looked hopeful. Was her father just going to, um, call a god to help them? Dabagat snorted and looked away. Do it! Death begets death. Violence begets violence. Your god will be as bloody as the coins you used to pay for his carriage here, she scoffed. I know, Maharia's father said with a grave sorrow before he nodded to the priest. Begin, he instructed, and the chains on Dabagast's wrists and neck began to glow with dark red symbols. This wasn't right. Maharia could save them, but as much as she wanted to protest, her fear and shame kept her silent as the woman writhed for a moment before half of her skin began to turn to wood. After a moment, the wood began to be pulled off Dabagast like she was being stripped of the bark from a tree. 
the gift of nature from a druid on the verge of wood or flesh. I seek not death, but your life, the king, a man Maharia couldn't call father at the moment, said, as Davagas stared at the wooden form that looked like a being pulled into a circle. That's my choice, my choice, she roared, the chains buckling as she tried to reach for the wood. I choose to be wood or flesh, not you, she snarled, eyes glowing black. After a moment, she fell to her knees, still heaving and snarling. I am flesh, she whispered, and her eyes looked at the circle where the wooden face looked back in sorrow. Your god will be everything you wanted, and more. Dabagas swore like a curse, and Maharia felt sick. With one last look, the king nodded, and the guards led her out, dragging her as she refused to be led peacefully. There was a lot of manner being gathered as the wooden druid form looked skyward, as if thinking. The priests slowly used a magic circle to raise their voices, and as things reached crescendo, the manner and chanting, the wooden form exploded, a green light shooting skyward. A star appeared directly above their kingdom. It formed like someone took a knife and draped it over the darkness. Inside the circle, a single stem grew up from the solid stone. A bud white and closed. The king rose and approached it. It arrives, the envoy of our god, he announced, and the room's atmosphere seemed to grow tense and excited. The flower pulsed, but seemed to be content waiting. The king knelt before it, offering it the highest respect. Oh God, being from beyond, I am King Harnack of Tatug. I call you here to bring life to my dying kingdom. Let us hear your desires, and let us work in harmony, he intoned. The thing bloomed. Inside the ball was an eye. I will heal this land of sickness as you desire, it promised, and his voice was strange, like an old man that spoke down at people. Maharia didn't like it. Worship me, offer your throne to be the soil in which I will become the tree of this world, it said, and that uh, made a father swallow. Great one, there is a world tree already. The mighty Wyan, the benevolent goddess who heals any that drinks of her sap, he explained. There was a long pause as the ugly flower in the circle seemed to think this over. I see. Then half my work is already done. But first, it said, and blinked once, the eyelids coming in sideways. Let me heal this land of its sickness, it said and everyone moved in close before the eye began to bleed a dark fluid, as of crying. The foolish insects that rip it apart, poisoning themselves with the very metal that they think will save them. You use pain and lost to bring me here. Let me repay that kindness, it said, and it lashed out with a dozen tendrils, impaling people in the shoulder or leg. One came from Moharia, but she reacted out of fear. A hand glowing sickly green, which caused it to rot before it touched her. The plant demon screamed. The people around her stumbled. Bring me the Deathbringer. 
Bring me the child of Marrow, it hissed. Maharia narrowed her eyes and snarled, moving forward to rot the demon before it hurt anyone else. Her father, her mother, her guards, the nobles, her siblings all turned to her. Thick, worm-like veins pulsing in their necks or arms. Maria backed up. Papa, mother, Sonic, Durst, she called. But they advanced on her as their eyes became dull. No, only me, they said, and the bronze voice came out of their mouths. Maharia screamed as they reached for her. The ground exploded, sending her mother and father's thrones into the air as a massive shadow tendril emerged. I told you, this was a bad idea, Sun's voice called out, loud and feral as it swiped at the people. It took down people, and after a moment, they seemed to just break apart as Sun pulled something out of them. These people are already slaves to two... You will not have them, Sun challenged as the plant thing scurried away, using human shields to hide itself. Maharia ran, but she was blocked off from Sun. A hand touched her, and she used her mana in a panic. A guard turned black and fell into pieces. Maharia felt a strange feeling come over her. A sort of numbness that made her question why she was moving or running, or raising the man as a skeleton. She had to, she had to run and survive. Such power, such unity of power, I wanted, but no, you're not the one, the true source, the blonde spoke from all angles and all mouths. Even as weak as I am on this plane, I could sense them. One eye, so high that it would burn me to touch, but another deep, the darkness. That one, that one I can hunt, it said with glee. As much as I hate them, my aunt and uncle will tear you apart and I shall enjoy it, Sun said, and Maharia turned as the shadow tendrils formed a rough human shape as it destroyed more and more lights. Family, would that make you uh, the nephew then, the plant murderer asked mused. Sun looked at her, and it was almost like she could smile. I suppose I am, he agreed, and part of the wall was struck as he moved to attack. Something stabbed Maharia in the back. But your dear Princess Marrow will be short a friend, it seems. The plant whispered before the creatures around them, no longer people, began to advance on them with no further comment as if the plant demon was now too far to spend that much power. Maharia hated that word. She hated that name. Turning, she saw Sernak and Ter standing there, their hands on their back and her ugly worm necks bulged. Ter's blinked once and then something was in her hand, as if she was trying to work a limb that didn't work anymore. It was Maharia's doll. Durst must have been holding it when she was attacked, in the act of returning it to calm Maharia down from the ritual. Maharia would kill the deep. She would find it, rot it, burn it, blind out what made it tick and make it scream. She would study these worm monsters in her people. She would learn how to fix people. But first, 
She couldn't feel her body that much. They must have hit her spine. Maria couldn't exactly do anything if she died, but as they were connected to her, the doll, the thing she put her mana into for fun, acted like a strange bridge. It let Maharia see into her brother and sister, seeing beyond their flesh to the black seed where the worm was trying to borrow, to, f- to feast on. If they did that, then her siblings were truly gone. Maharia refused them that fate. She felt her own seed flow through the flesh, injecting herself into Tursa's body, putting Sonak for fuel. A moment later, the parasite tried to kill Tuss, but Maharia flung mana at it as it tried to surge into her, Tuss's brain. However, the issue was she wasn't working with her own tiny magic anymore. Tuss was as talented as Sonak was, scary in his own or perhaps personal potential. The manna escaped her control as she felt, painlessly. One side of her face explode with an angry roar cackle of energy. Maharia grunted and pulled the bone back together with sheer manna, the bone becoming black as it became tough as it absorbed more magic. The parasites rotted, and Maharia turned as her aura spread, turning more monsters to dust. Sun watched as her and he held two forms out. Maharia saw her parents were partly gone, and only one of her new eyes could weep. The other eye socket was empty. We all become one, but until then, you should look after them, sir. No, nephew promised. Maharia took her in her mother and father's half to form seeds, and her manner again began to expand beyond her control. I don't think I can keep doing this, she admitted as her bones creaked. The power was breaking down and rebuilding her every second that she couldn't control it. You can't. Bloodline of the seeds allowed you to reform this trick, but any more require true mastery. There will be time for that later. You need to grieve, nephew instructed. But Maharia ignored him to move to the gates, where she saw the castle gates were already torn open and the guards shuffling like monsters inside. I can grieve tomorrow, she said, with hatred to her tone. Tonight, Totak burns until I make a god scream, she promised. Gods divide us. Demons lie to us. Even the sun and earth part against us. In the end, we become one or we fall. Nephew said as he fell into line with her, more an abstract shadow than anything. Then let us fall into silence. I don't want to pray to the stars anymore. I just wanted to be quiet. Baharia said softly as behind her, her power finally ate through the stone and the walls began to collapse inside. Turning, she placed her doll down on the rock before collapsing the walls to her home. You cannot free them, Sernak said poisonously. You should have joined us. It was peaceful, Tursa agreed. I will free you, even if death becomes the only option, Maharia said to the doll, leaving her behind with her innocence and life. Her siblings turned mad, continued to speak to her, their words like glass, but each moment was also comforting, knowing that they were still there. A hundred years, 
Maharia had time now. She could figure something out. Holly Dabagas walked out of the gardens of the castle, a crushed worm in her hand. She looked at the pair walking off before picking up the doll left behind. The magic inside was small, but it was there. She turned the thing over and she saw the princess had stitched a name into the back. It was a little crude and hard to make out. Sub? San? She ran a finger over it and tried to read it in the moonlight. Sav. It was the best guess she had. She would hold on to it for now. You never knew when these things would come in handy. Around her, the rotting worms and people began to leak into the soil, bringing life to the dead soil. The first to emerge was the dark grayish mushroom that survived despite the metal poison in the ground. She bent down and feeling morose and a little dark, she nibbled on it. Dabagas spat it out with a smile. Disgusting! Bite that would rot one's gut, she mused. Holly Dabagast wandered off into the woods, not leaving until fifty years when a foolish man called her beautiful. Her only guest had all that time, then made it out alive. Before then, was a strange man looking to learn about the foolish kingdom. He was amusing, and Dabagast found his barely contained bloodlust entertaining. The fact that he brought her information on the plant parasite that used her wooden blessing as a tie to this world was the only reason that she traded him the doll to the bone princess left behind. She would not see that man for some time until she ran into him in Durant's village. Jolin Japes was a very interesting man, but Harley Dabagast was just a friendly neighbor who didn't poke her nose into things. She helped the neighbors. It was a thing, really. Ask anyone. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.